Welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast that is classified as the master of unlocking. Tonight's Shiro's are Ben, Nick, Peter, Dave, myself, and a very, very special guest, the SSG, Sam. Would you like to introduce yourself for people that might not know you? Uh, I'm glad I'm glad to be back on the podcast. It's been a while. For those of y'all who really don't know me, um, I was one of the very first uh, people who I guess was a technical guest, me and the rest of the Titan cast crew. We were the competing, I guess I'll put that in quotation marks, the competing Saturn podcast, even though we really weren't. There's a long story behind that. Me and Dave could probably talk for two hours about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be on the podcast. I'm very happy to be talking about uh, the topic of unlocking things. And yeah, back to you there, Mr. Patrick. So uh, before we begin with our main topic, why don't we do some personal updates? Uh, Nick, would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah, since the last episode, I did two new reviews on the Pandemonium Reviews Every U.S. Saturn Game channel. Uh, One of them was SimCity 2000, which had a review with developer Paul Kirchin. Uh, Patrick helped with that review or interview with the developer, and that went really well. And then um, uh, at the time of recording just a few hours ago, um, uploaded the theme park review where Peter Molyneux's interview came back since while I had him we just kind of killed all the birds with one stone and I had him talk about all the Saturn games that Bullfrog was working on so so that is online now and now I'll be working on a Mansion of Hidden Souls I beat it recently that has a really wild ending uh, you'll hear all about it later and uh, also going to do a video on Parodius it'll be the first cancelled Saturn game review that uh that i'll be working on it had a planned american launch and for those of you familiar with the game probably know it didn't quite make it to the u.s it made it to europe for some reason they had all the legwork done for localizing it but nope didn't uh they just just weren't going to release it here so a bunch of stuff there that should be uh, a fun video uh peter Moloch, thank you very much for the merry christmas present you got me darius too for the saturn it's been a delight and a bunch of uh, delicious polish candies the one that you referred to as crack is indeed crack like it's not literally crack but it's basically a small step below it and uh started collecting gamecube stuff my wife got me a gamecube for my birthday it's region modded and uh, that's been a delight and uh and i don't talk about work very much on here but um, I'll bring it up today. I, I'm a news reporter in North Dakota for a local news station, and um, our station recently won an Emmy, and I was part of the team that was in the newscast that won the Emmy for, uh, for the Midwest region. Um, we did six hours of back-to-back nonstop live coverage of the riot that happened in Fargo, and uh, I was one of the reporters in the streets, basically going live on TV and on Facebook, sometimes at once, sometimes one or the other, um, for six straight hours. I wasn't even supposed to work that night. Not all, A lot of us were not supposed to work that night, but it happened, and we all got called in and just uh, did our best to stick with the facts, document what was going on, and keep people informed as to what was happening. And apparently we did such a good job that we won an Emmy, so... I'll uh, be getting the trophy in the mail here pretty soon, and it'll be a interesting addition to my Amiibo collection. We'll just put it that way. I'm just kidding. Had, I got a nice spot in the shelf for it. <laughs> yeah, I had, so. uh, one of my friends' dads actually won an Emmy. You had to you had to pay for it though, right? The actual statue. 
the company's paying for it. I'm not paying oh, for that. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's too much. That's it's like more than 300 bucks if you want to buy it. It's like uh, I'm not doing yeah, that. Cause, yeah, cuz yeah, cuz my uh my friend my friend's dad they ma- they made him have to buy his own Emmy, which kind of sucked. That it that is that sucks. Those are not cheap. They but, should be, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, are you going to put it in the Amiibo, Amiibo collection? You know, I'll think about it, but uh probably not. We'll probably stick it in the living room. So fair enough, yeah. yeah. So, uh, welcome to Sega Sound Shiro, the only podcast with Emmy award-winning cast members. Hell yeah! All right. Uh, what about you, Peter? What have you been up to in the land of Peter stuff? Uh, a couple things. So, first of all, one of my Saturns needed a new PSU. I mentioned that on the last episode, and I did end up ordering uh, a re-Saturn uh, power supply unit. So it's a small little unit. Um, that accepts 12 uh, volts and I was able to install it in my Saturn installation was actually really really quite simple um, I had a bit of a chat with the um, the guy who designed the re-Saturn and I just want everybody out there to know if you're looking for a uh, power supply unit replacement I know there's several choices out there but I found the uh, re-Saturn uh, PSU to be super simple it runs uh, nice and cool um, installation is is just dead easy. I mean, you have to pop the lid off of your Saturn and obviously, um, you know, disconnect the original PSU. But then connecting the re-Saturn is, you know, it's it's, it's simple uh, as can be, and it's uh, it's just a wonderful product. So if anybody's looking for it, uh, GameTech.us has got them uh, on for sale, and I, you know, from my experience, I recommend it. So. Uh, uh, really, really cool experience with a uh, re-Saturn. Um, other than that, I just uh, want to give a quick shout out to Ben. I ended up receiving a uh, Saturn keyboard from Mr. Ben, and that's uh, wonderful and lovely, so thank you very much for that. Um, and then over and above that, just uh, been playing some Shockwave Assault. That is an old uh, 3DO game that's been ported over to Saturn and it's just got that, you know, 1990s FMV cheese in it. And I'm just actually really kind of having a good time with a game that shouldn't really be considered all that good, but it's just, I'm liking it. It's just a bucket of fun. Nice. Um, as for me, I got the recent GC loader drop and I did a whole case swap on my GameCube like uh, and I did a case up on my GameCube to get the orange the orange case on my US GameCube and put the GC loader in that and now I have pretty much the entire GameCube library or whatever I'm going to play basically so no $300 drops for Gotcha Force or GoGo Hyper Grind for me at least I'm happy about that so yeah that's I'm that's pretty excited I recommend everyone get it if they if they can it's pretty cheap it's only like about 90 bucks that plus the SD card maybe is like maybe 190 and with that and having the entire library, and actually it's kind of funny because Sam actually influenced me, I guess, partially to get it too, which I thought was kind of funny. So thank you for that, Sam. Got to fight that disc rot, right? Rah, rah, fight the rot. Anyways, uh, the other thing I got was a PS5. I know Ben was asking about that on the the last stream I did with Dave, and um, yeah, I got the interface is really nice. Uh, I really enjoy it compared to the PS4's clunky interface. Um, I actually got that and uh, Demon Souls and completely beat Demon Souls as of uh, this morning, so that's pretty cool. So that's completely beaten now, so I am going to eagerly wait for it and eagerly wait new games for it, which I have no idea when they're going to come out with more of them. 
But uh, yeah, I feel bad for people that can't get it, though. I know a lot of people have been trying to hunt down the PS5s, and it's kind of been hard to find them. So I wish everybody luck on that one. Please don't uh, buy it from Scalper, though. Don't do that. Besides that, um, just uh, upgrade upgraded my uh, my my Anomi arcade machine with the WebPy, and got a lot of basically a Thomas Wave and new uh, games with that, which I thought was pretty cool. And of course, I need to thank. I guess lastly, I need to thank Peter for this uh, cool Magic Knight Rare Earth figure he got me of a uh, Foo for Christmas that uh, is on top of my little TV now. So that's uh, that's about it for me. Uh, what about you, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Actually, got a few things I was gonna. Uh, bring up uh first off i uh, just finished up my portable mode high saturn which is a project that i've been wanting to finish up for a while now needed parts from all sorts of different little things to come together had a hard drive that came in from peter thank you peter um the um i had to get in the high saturn that I ordered off off ebay the mode came in from terra onion and uh, then I was reusing my games Vanguard case that I had from my Xbox 360 from back in the day. And uh, so put all of this together and basically I now have a, a portable Saturn and it's pretty fantastic. I really like it. I um, was talking to the guys earlier before this podcast that I was kind of worried that I would get a little bit of backlash, um, not from the mode itself, but from, you know, being a, you know, a, a big Saturn guy uh, playing basically ROMs on a Saturn hardware. But I haven't actually gotten any of that backlash, which has been really nice. The mode is fantastic. I really like it. It's easy to navigate. It, it's very flawless and easy to install. That's even not a problem at all. And uh, so, yeah, can't say enough good things about it. I'll be able to take my Saturn around with me anywhere I go, be able to play whatever I want to play and uh, not have to worry about a stack of games with me as well, uh, which I usually would have to do if I took my Saturn with me. Um, Other things that I've been doing is, uh, let's see, I've got the PS5. I ended up getting an Xbox Series X. But what was interesting about both of those was the story about how I got them. And uh, so I was sitting at my computer for both of the launches um, waiting for the timers to count down. My girlfriend's on her phone, and she's basically trying to get it through Target. Now, with the PS5 and the Series X, I'm going through basically, uh, you know, the websites for Microsoft Store or the PlayStation Store, stuff like that, you know, the main ones. And uh, so what ended up happening was, nope, it didn't work for me. Could not get it crashed immediately. Microsoft Store, it would crash in the page. I'd refresh. And even with the Microsoft Store, it went through finally, like 20 minutes went by, and I finally got through, but then I never got an email, it never gave me an order number, and I'm like, I don't think this actually went through. So she was able to get both of them through her phone through Target, and I was like, how in the world were you able to get both of these? Remember, I wasn't expecting to get the Xbox, so the PS5 I didn't get at all, that was through her just completely. So we got that through Target, okay. But, you know, I was expecting the Xbox Series X to come in on, I don't remember what day, it was like a Thursday or something. And uh, on, like, Tuesday or Wednesday, I had a box show up, and I'm like, it's an Xbox. I'm like, well, this is early. And I look at the shipping notice, it's from the Microsoft store. And I was like, wait a minute. And so I look at my um, billing statement, and I've been, sure enough, I've been charged, you know, the 500-some-odd dollars from Microsoft. And I was like... Wait, so they actually did process that. So I checked my emails. Nope, never went through. It. They had some sort of glitch on the Microsoft site that never sent me a confirmation, nothing. So I ended up having two Xboxes. 
um, and uh, sold one of them to a friend of mine. So it was gone. And um, but then I kept the other one. And so then I had that and we've been having a blast ever since. And, you know, playing all of this old stuff that we like to play on these things. But yeah, they've been great. And uh, yeah, I can't, can't complain about either one of them. They're both fantastic. Do you target order for the PS5 that I come in like the same day it was released or? Because I got mine, like... Yours came in, it was, like, two days after mine. My PlayStation 5 came in the target day it was supposed to come in. Because I remember getting mine in, and I uh, texted you, and I was like, hey, did you get your PS5 in? And you're like, no, I have not gotten this thing in yet. I was like, oh. So I remember my PlayStation came in a couple days before yours, and you were so frustrated because your game was in, but you weren't able to play it yet. Yeah, I got both Demon Souls. I, I think I took a picture of that on the, the Spirit Hunters podcast, because follow that Facebook and it's like, I have these games and I must scream because I can't play them. Right. And so yeah. aside from that, I've already beat Miles Morales hundred percent on the PS five and want to give a special thanks to um, Peter. He had sent me a, a gift. It was a, a dreamcast prototype disc is uh, what they would burn on the GD ROMs uh, for games. And th- I've never even seen one of these. Remember I'm out in Tennessee. We don't get to see things like this, you know, and uh, so this was really neat. I really appreciate it. That That's much appreciated, sir. Gotcha. All right, sweet. Uh, did you want to go, uh, Dave? So, yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of streaming, and Pat's been on with me a few times. Uh, we did a, a Darkstalkers Night Warriors stream. That was a lot of fun. I did a Sega Touring Car stream, and we were talking about that game because Peter did a little post that actually like hit really big with a lot of Saturn fans. So, you know, that's a that's a Dark Horse favorite of mine, despite the low frame rate. And come to find out, I guess a lot of people kind of like it as well. Maybe they're closet fans. <laughs> and then uh, got the Dreamcast going for at least one stream of Machin X. I need to play that game again, but uh, but that was fun. And uh, yeah, subsequent uh, Alien Trilogy stream which was a lot of fun, and then a virtual casino stream, which almost nobody watched, <laughs> but it was fun enough. That was a fun stream. Pat was picking up uh, or dropping off a turkey or something like that, and uh, no, I was just uh, playing several poor hands of poker because I'm not you know, huge at table games, but I did the best that I could. Did you try any penny slots and $150 out of them? Yeah, no, I didn't get that far. I, 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 I got to roulette and I was just like, I just can't win at this. It's total, it's total dumb luck. And you have to win like $10,000 to be able to get out of there. So I just wasn't, it wasn't happening for me, but uh, no, uh, Peter got me an amazing gift. Thank you so much, Peter, for these like very limited cards, I guess, like plaque cards uh, for the E3 trade show. And they were for Enemy Zero. So this would have been the 1997 Sega booth for Enemy Zero. And these are just like instructional cards or I guess like press information uh, so that writers would know, you know, what was going on in the game enough to be able to like write about it, about it knowledgeably. And it does kind of look like they got run off at a Kinko's or something like that. Like it, they, they're, they're totally official, but they're not so much that there would have been several produced i don't think you know it was like definitely like a we need this for for this trade show kind of thing so who even knows i i I researched it and looked it up i couldn't find any information on like multiple other ones out there so you know if anything they're very limited (laughs) and so i was very very touched by that peter um yeah that shocked me and then um 
after that, you know, it got me back on the whole digging up uh, videos, digging up trade show videos and, and uh, trying to preserve, just trying to curate a bunch of old Saturn coverage into one place, you know, so I've been uploading a bunch of, a bunch of old like trade show videos and stuff and uh, Saturn segments, you know, where it was featured on, uh, you know, Canadian or American television shows and stuff like that. So in interesting stuff. And, and I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to gaming history. So that's all I got at the moment. Sounds good. Uh, what about you, Mr. Sam? I'll be completely honest with you. Um, <laughs> the Well, for one, I have been pretty much uh, home for technically this is day 22 since the 1st of September. That's how many days I've been home since the 1st of September. Uh, Gaming-wise, I haven't had a lot of time to game, period. Uh, especially not anything Sega-wise or Saturn. Um, I have had the opportunity to play some Mario Kart 8 with my daughter on my wife's Wii. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> like, the, the, you know, uh, I was over there with uh, Dave talking to him. And I, for those of y'all who don't follow me on social media, m one of my jobs, it was sometime in October. I was actually working in California, so I actually had the opportunity to meet Dave in person. And we got to go out to the beach. I got to hang out with his family. We got to play games. He got to show me how bad he sucked at Gun Griffin. I got to show him how good I was at Gun Griffin. You know, we did the things. I made a video talking about his entire setup, which he has an immaculate setup. He had Trip D for the uh, 3DO or something like that. It was, it was amazing. You know, and the, the coolest thing about it is, man, like real talk, regardless of the video games, regardless of the collecting, regardless of all the crap in this room, the most awesome part of this entire journey over the past three years in this community has been able to meet people and finally being able to meet one of those people in person. That's it, man. Cause like for me, gaming isn't about collecting. It's not about preservation. It's not about any of this crap. What it's about is, is me sharing my experiences with other individuals and actually being able to physically do that with another human being. That was awesome. So that, that that's my that that's my take, man. That's all I got. Nice. So now that the introductions are out of the way, why don't we start into the news? So I guess the first big thing we want to talk about that we didn't really talk about before is the, the Symphony of the Night fan translation, or was it the Akumajo Dracula X uh, Nocturne of the Moonlight? It was released by Night of Dragon on October 31st on Halloween night, and it worked fine. It, got, it, did, it went through all the game. The only issue that it, it ran into is when you, when you go pick up an item, it uh, freezes the console. It just crashes it. So I don't know if... I've heard that it might have been my copy and maybe the way that the disc was was burnt or ripped. So I can't confirm nor deny that it's the issue with the patch, but I've heard other people run into that same issue as well. Hmm. So from what I've, I've understood, though, it should be fixed sooner or later. And actually, uh, a nice little fun fix that he's working on is actually removing the transition from 240p to 480i in the menus. So hopefully this will alleviate the issue with that when people are using it on a Framemeister or a OSSC. So I think that's an insane fix, though, having the that transition removed, because it will help 
streamers a lot because as people remember watching my video on the the stream of the patch there's a lot of time my capture card would just would just not detect it or my frame master would just uh, hold on a black screen so i'm hoping with that fix it'll be it'll fix that up right away and we'll be able to play it without issue I think it's wonderful that this uh, game got patched at all. I know for years uh, the story was that, oh, you know, this game, the way that the text files are stored, it's not going to be possible to ever translate it, etc. And uh, the very talented Knight of Dragon was able to do it, so hats off to him. By the way, he is a main contributor of the uh, Shining Force 3 translation project so super talented guy and i'm just super excited that this uh, is uh that this translation's a reality i think a lot of folks have been waiting for this yeah for sure and i think the best way to keep in track of that is actually i guess shameless plug our discord server we have a discord server that really focuses on a lot of the saturn news discussion about our podcasts and episodes and just the all-around goings of really anything Sega. So you can join us. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the description of this podcast, whether it be on YouTube or Podient or whatever you consume the podcast on. But that should be there, so feel free to join us. And uh, yeah, it'll be great. You'll cop on there and be able to talk to him directly. He's on our Discord. Trekkies Unites on the Discord. The entire team for the translation for, for Sakura Wars is on the Discord. So we have a lot of people that are involved in these translation scenes on the Discord. And I think recently we got a lot of people like Fireball from the from the, the Redump project as well that worked a lot with Kay. So there's a lot of famous people in the Siren community here. And so, yeah, feel free to join it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you on here and we'll be able to discuss stuff, guys. Do we have anything else on the Symphony of the Night fan translation? Anyone want to say anything or play it at all? Die, monster. You don't belong in this world. You're banned. Oh, okay. Anyways, I guess moving on to the Dreamcast stuff, uh, did you guys hear about this Atomus Wave uh, conversion project that's been working on? Yeah, that's some pretty big news for Dreamcast people. I haven't personally tried it out yet, but that definitely expands the library for Dreamcast fans out there. A lot of good titles. Yeah, for sure. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Megavolt85 has really worked his way and started translating the Atomus Wave but yeah, uh, the cool thing is that the, the Atomus Wave stuff is pretty easy to convert over. So far, they converted Demolish Fist, Dolphin Blue, Guilty Gear X, King of Fighters 11, King of Valor, Metal Slug 6, Neo Geo Battle Coliseum, and a ton of other games that were on that system and were stuck on that system for the most part, besides maybe PS2 or Xbox ports here and there. But pretty much it's, it's almost one-to-one, so it's a great conversion and... It actually is the better option to play versus the conversions on the Naomi. So if you really want the definitive versions of this game, like Arcade Perfect, to pick up a Dreamcast. So uh, so far, they only released the GD-ROM sort of disc images for that. So if you want to play it, the only real great way to do that is an ODE or some other solution on the Dreamcast itself. Or you can play an emulation. There's not a lot of uh, Mill City implemented versions of it on really out there yet so either give them some time or just be patient with that or get an ODE there's a lot available nowadays for the Dreamcast so hopefully you can pick one up and uh, play these awesome arcade games I just think it's pretty fantastic that the Dreamcast is getting this it's it's pretty amazing as it is because as arcadey as the Dreamcast is it's really neat that this Atomus Wave is on here because basically the Atomus Wave itself is uh, basically the spiritual successor to the Neo Geo MVS. And 
you know, that's arcades just in general. And everybody loves those. Everybody loves Neo Geos. You know, you get a, there's a bunch of fighters you'll be able to play, like Fist of the North Star. You got Guilty Gear X, uh, all sorts of good stuff. And so I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm super excited for uh, for Fist of the North Star. It's really one of the the one arc system work games that really hasn't been ported to anything besides the Atomus Wave. It's going to be really great to have a Dreamcast version of that out and available. So I'm super excited for that as well. All right, so onto some really depressing news. The Polymega was announced to be delayed again to March 31st for pre-orders for like Walmart and re- other retailers and early 2021, according to their website. Yeah, so information is a little slim on this. I was looking through the Twitter feed and uh, looking on the website for Polymega, and the information that we have is basically... Uh, Polymega is currently in public beta testing. It will ship in early 2021 to pre-order backers. The only other place you can get information about the Polymega is from Walmart, and uh, their delivery date is expected to be March 31st. And that's in case it doesn't get delayed again, which it's been delayed several times now. And unfortunately, I have to put this in a uh, purchase with caution category. Yeah, I think we've been following that for quite a while, and it just it's just really depressing because I know we've been following that since we actually did a video and talked to them back in 2018. And really, there's it's all been sort of a downhill thing. Like, it's, oh, we're not making it FPGA anymore, or, oh, it's delayed for the 20th time, or, oh, there's these issues with the discs or this and that. It's kind of a shame because in the meantime, there's all these optical drive emulator choices that have sort of come up, you know, whether we're talking about the Fenrir or the Terra Onion mode. Um, But like, I mean, Saturn owners that wish to emulate their original hardware now have a whole lot more choices. So the Polymega is not nearly the only game in town anymore. So it's to their detriment, really. For sure. I mean, only time will tell what's going to happen when it comes out to either early 2021 or March 31st. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see, and hopefully hopefully this ages poorly and it comes out and, and is fantastic. But, I mean, from the looks of it, I mean... That's certainly, you know, the hope. I, I can't help but wonder if the if COVID shortages on certain supplies in the electronics industry might have contributed to this. I don't know if they've officially said if that was a problem or not, but just some speculation. I suppose so, but I mean, it was supposed to drop last year, so I mean... Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's it's been delayed, what, was it six times, Ben? Something like that? Yeah, it was something around six <clears throat> times, and uh, in the past, they had mentioned you know, several things, like they were slapping stickers on the boxes and getting ready for shipments, and then the next thing you know is the microchip manufacturer is delayed because of COVID, and so it, the information that we have is not entirely reliable and it's really hard to find any kind of solid information on the subject all right so dipping our toes back into fan translations man we get a lot of them this cast vandal hearts has been translated with a shadow drop uh both palmette and stardust crusaders released it in december i think it's december 5th and apparently it's really good i have not had a chance to play it unfortunately because i've been so busy uh, but there's so many of these things it's hard to keep track of sometimes. Have any of you guys either played the original or played the new translation? So I did burn myself a copy of the uh, translation, um, and I fired it up, and it does work beautifully. Um, I do own the PlayStation 1 
original, but I have to admit I haven't played that in a very, very long time. And I know the Saturn version in this case is a, it's a relatively close port, like, uh, you know, graphically it's not quite as polished as the PlayStation version. You've got transparencies on the PlayStation that become uh, mesh works on the Saturn and so on. Uh, but generally speaking, it's a quite quite a well-received game in the day, like scoring in the, you know, uh, mid-70s to low-80s uh, percentage-wise. Um, and it's a strategy, like an isometric grid strategy uh, game, you know, set in a fantasy world. So super awesome, like you said, that the translations are coming. And from the uh, disc that I burnt, the gameplay was very stable. You know, nothing was crashing and just worked really smoothly. And it's super cool to see yet another you know, very text-heavy game uh, translated over. So this is another Konami game, and uh, so far so good. I'm really enjoying it. Nice. I can't wait to get a hold of it and to play it myself. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a chance to play it either, but I, I do really enjoy seeing this just wealth of translations come out. I, I was talking to someone on Twitter like months ago uh, about a different translation project, basically saying, look, if, if some of these games were already translated on PS1 or other consoles, and why do you care about them being translated on the Saturn? And I don't know, it's just it's a nice feeling of retribution because the Saturn really did miss out on a lot of 5th-gen uh, gen localizations that it really, really should have gotten that really would have helped it out. And also just being able to play it on the Saturn as a fan of the console is a really nice thing in of itself. Um, Not to mention, a lot of time the Saturn version is actually the better version of it too. Exactly mm-hmm. right. That's definitely a common thread. So it's it's nice to see these keep coming. Yeah, don't forget. Also, with the Saturn versions, you also have the Saturn controller layout, which is very unique. You know, you got the um, the six button layout. You know, three and three. Whereas if you're playing on something like a PlayStation, you got the four four and then the two toggles on the top, stuff like that. So. So the way you're experiencing it is a little bit different, too. And some of these games really work better to that 2D controller. It's got a beautiful D-pad. Yeah, and I mean, really, if you think about it, so we've just in the last 12 months, Grandia, now Symphony of the Night, uh, Vandal Hearts, um, like, you know... Sakura Wars. Sakura Wars. You know, the whole thing got kicked off uh, with uh, Linkle Liver story, which I swear should just be called Wrinkle River, but... I'll I'll sort of not beat that dead horse anymore, but it's just a phenomenal number of RPGs that are just high quality productions that are now playable on the Saturn. And I'll I'll echo what what Ben was saying a hundred percent. I detest the original PlayStation controller. I think it's hot garbage, and I much prefer playing all of these um, RPGs on a on on a Saturn pad. It's just. It's just such an awesome experience. So, to all the folks that are working at, at translating these games, I, you know, this is a fantastic time to be a Saturn gamer, and really, we just want to thank you. This is great. Yeah, I and I think the reason why a lot of them are coming out, especially this year and now, is a. Uh, I don't want to call anybody out, but I think COVID and a lot of people working from home, especially in the tech industry, really had a lot more time to work on it compared to at their office. You know. Yeah, that's true. All I got to say true. about that is, you know, keep them coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep doing also, it. yeah, also along those lines, the number of that is coming out is great. And if you see one that you're like, oh, why are they doing this? Or I really wish they'd do X, Y, or Z, don't worry. It's probably coming, you know, because yeah. these translators are working on more stuff in the future as well. Insert begging for Princess Crown here. Oh, and just another one that we missed Valholian is another sort of 
totally obscure game that was recently translated. We talked about it, so I don't want to go over it again, but I just, you know, when we named off all these high-production translations, I don't want us to forget Valholian either. You also forgot a really, really important one, but we'll segue into it with this, because another version of it is also in release now. The Lunar Silver Star Story Complete and Peg patch has been released. Not a beta, it seems more like a full release with fixes on incoming. Released by Mr. Conan and Company, so I think a lot. Of, like, there's a lot of different translations and and people that developed other translations that worked on this. I think I think Trekkies gave his hand to it. I think Misty on Twitter did. I can't remember who exactly she, her handle is online, but she worked on that. Um, uh, there's some issues here and there. Uh, I guess for you that don't know, the MPEG version of the game, the complete version for the Saturn that requires the MPEG card plugged into the back of the Saturn to get the high quality videos. Um, from what they described, they're working on both a subbed and dubbed version of it. So if you really want to play with subtitles and have it a little bit unique, you can. But if you want to play it dubbed and listen to the awful voice acting, which I do, then it's more than open and ready for you to play it. So I'm super excited for both of these. I actually ordered a MPEG card so I can actually play it on stream and test it. So I'm hoping that'll come in fairly soon in one capacity or another. And I'll be able to do some streaming on it. That's actually the one patch I actually regret not jumping on. And with the one piece of hardware I didn't get earlier. So hopefully that won't uh, happen again. I'm slowly getting this this old Saturn hardware on the side. Like I have a modem all ready to go. I, I Hopefully I'll have this card ready to go for other MPEG translations as well. But I mean time will only tell my friends what is in store for this. So. I'm super excited. Are you guys with the that have NPAG cards going to try this one as well? Yeah, I. you know what, Pat? I need to get myself a, a, an NPAG card as well. I've sort of been holding off. They're, they're a little bit on the pricier side, but this translation, I think, just sort of seals the deal for me. Uh, to me, it's a pretty essential piece of kit because Lunar is one of my favorite games of all time. And to see that improved video and the cinematics, I think, is going to be worth the uh, price of admission. On my end, I'm definitely going to try it out. I've got a MPEG card that came with my High Saturn, so I've got one ready to go, and um, can't wait to see how it looks. Funny enough, I think that's the same one I ordered, the High Saturn card. I'm still a video cardless plebe, so there's that. Oh, like the Hitachi? Yeah, the Hitachi one. Well, and just, you know what, maybe a quick little mention to folks. So there's several different variations of these cards out there, and... um, the one card that was officially released in the West, it came out in Europe only. And unless you are in the PAL territories, you want to avoid that because these cards are region locked. So you get a PAL card and it will only play back PAL video. So so avoid that. Sega put out uh, some cards, as did um, Hitachi, and so did... Uh, there was another... I think it was JVC? I could be wrong. Anyways... Yeah. Um, there, some of them are known as twin operators, and the reason they're known as twin operators is that not only are you going to get the MPEG functionality out of the card, but they're also going to combine the functionality of the previously released photo CD operator. Now, guys, we're in the 2020s, and photo CD is a CD format for photos that has been dead for ages and ages, but for anybody out there who has discs with photo CDs on them, it's a format that Kodak developed, uh, the Saturn could play these back with photo CD software. 
Um, and these special twin operator MPEG cards do decode those discs as well. So they tend to be on the pricier side of the VCD cards, of the video cards. So if you're not necessarily looking for, you know, uh, compatibility with photo CDs, then, you know, you can avoid those and they'll still uh, play back MPEGs so long as they're NTSC compliant. Um, but for those of you who are looking for that extra functionality, then make sure you pick up a twin operator. The, the cards that don't decode photo CDs are not called twin operators. So uh, the cards that, that'll do both are, are called the twin operators and they're pricier ones. So just a bit of uh, information out there because I know there's a lot of different variations and models of these cards that you can pick up. Yeah, it looks like three of the cards are, are or four of the cards are multi-regional, so... The RGVC20 by JVC, the RGVC3 by Victor, the RGVC3S by Victor again. And it looks like the model, it's called, this is what it's called, Model 2 Video CD Console for the, but it's released by Sega is both multi-regional, but it doesn't, but that one doesn't have photo CD support. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So don't, don't yell at me guys. It, it literally is called the Model 2 is what's listed on Sega Retro. <laughs> so please, please don't be la- make fun of me. That's what it's called. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of options. Uh, I just got the Hitachi one. So I'd like to get the, the multi-region one and the, with the photo CD support. But to be honest, I'm probably never going to use the photo CD at all. Straight up. So just before we move on, so interesting, I, I actually not too long ago picked up an ebook operator for the Saturn because I guess in Japan a lot of books came out in the ebook format, and so these were books that you could essentially read uh, by popping in a disc to your into your computer. But the Saturn was able to read those if you had an ebook operator. So I've got this ebook operator, but it is incredibly impossible to find ebooks in this format to be able to test. So anyways, that's completely an aside, but uh, just the figured I'd mention that the Saturn is really able to support a variety of completely obscure and obsolete formats. And uh, ebook was another interesting one that that was kind of out there and just never really got used. I like, I like the one video, the one video that you showed off playing the, the video graphics card or the oh, was it yeah. graphics. Yeah. So that's, that was uh, CD plus G. So some, uh, some CDs uh, had optional graphics written into some of the subcode channels that are not usually used on a CD. Um, and the main application for that was karaoke. And so if you have actual karaoke discs, the Saturn will natively play those back. You don't even need any special hardware. And so I picked up a karaoke version of Disney's Frozen. And it's just the soundtrack to Disney's Frozen, but it does have that extra data on the uh, on the disc. And so you pop it into the Saturn and it sort of changes your dashboard and you got different effects and you've got the lines to sing along to. And so it's pretty neat. It's, it, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a quirky, obscure, fun thing to look at. That's good to know, but please don't play that for us. <laughs> Call me when you got the Pantera version of it up. There you go. <laughs> Done. Okay, fair enough. Alright, so why don't we move on to yet another translation. Like, this is getting kind of crazy now. Woohoo! Uh, translation! Yes! So many of them. Like, I, I literally can't keep up anymore. It's insane. Uh, so the, the next one is Sword and Sorcery, which I guess is 3DO's... I don't even know how to say this. Lucien's Quest. Lucien's Quest. So you yeah. want to do do that one, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, like you were saying, Pat, more translations. And so a game that came out in Japan on the Saturn, Sword and Sorcery, 
uh, did make its way to the West, but only on the 3DO, and it was called Lucien's Quest. So it's the 3DO's one and only traditional RPG that came out here. Um, this is initially a 3DO game that was eventually ported to the Saturn in Japan. And the game is not a straight port. It is slightly different. Like, there have been elements of the game that have been changed, so the story's a little bit different. There's some extra locations and what have you. Um, and the Saturn port is actually, to be honest, generally considered inferior to the 3 version. But still, it did make an appearance uh, on the Saturn in Japan, and now somebody is working on getting it translated. Uh, the game is developed by Microcabin, and for those of you that are familiar with Microcabin, they're the guys that did Blazing Heroes slash Mystaria, the Realms of Lore. So uh, it's that developer. They were an early Saturn developer, and they were very sort of... Um, what's the best way to, to call them? They were a very traditional developer. So they did do Lucien's Quest prior to doing any of their Saturn work, but they did eventually port Sword and Sorcery to the Saturn. So now it seems to be we're working on a translation to bring it over in English. All right, the last little bit of news that we want to talk about is um, Trekkies Unite has actually translated the FDD operator disc. So for those of you that don't know, uh, the Saturn did have a floppy disk drive that was released uh, again in Japan only. And in order to access and transfer and manipulate files on floppy disks, uh, you would use the Saturn's dashboard backup utility. But the trouble is the, st the stock utility did not access anything other than onboard memory and cartridge memory. So you needed a special operator disk that kind of acted like an extension of that memory manager and it could do both of the partitions of a floppy disk through the floppy disk drive. The trouble is the disk is uh, in Japanese only and even changing the language in the Saturn dashboard to English doesn't actually change the language on the uh, operator disk. And so Trekkies went ahead and translated that, and so now it is available in English. It's an extremely small patch download. Uh, it can be applied and burned, and you load the disk up, and then your memory manager is able to access all four of the Saturn's save locations, your onboard memory, your cartridge memory, and then your two partitions of your floppy disk drive, and you can just move files back and forth. So super nerdy, very, uh, very sort of geeky, and really only going to be useful to a few of us, but uh, it's a super cool little uh, translation nonetheless. So, so just tons of kudos over to Trekkies for doing that. Thanks so much. So now we talk about our main topic today, which is, of course, the infamous and famous Resident Evil. So to give a little background to those of you that don't know Resident Evil, uh, as part of the Alpha Team, you descend upon a mansion near Raccoon City to investigate the mysterious killings in the area. Almost immediately, everything goes wrong. The team is split up, people start dying, and there are fleshy monsters everywhere. Tense gaming using fear as the main element is the driving force of the Resident Evil series. Basically coined as survival horror, it first appeared on the PS1 in 1996. Capcom contracted Next Tech to port it to the Saturn, which the company completed for the Japanese release in July of 1997. It hit North America and Europe on October 1997, just over a year since the PlayStation debut. It was actually based on RE Dash, an unreleased update to the original PlayStation Resident Evil port. 
There's some minor improvements over the PlayStation version, such as new tick monsters, extra tyrant in certain situations, extra costumes for Jill and Chris, and slightly higher resolutions on background images, and of course, the famous battle mode. I guess I'll give my sort of impressions of the game, uh, and sort of my tidbits. Uh, it's really, its inspiration comes from the original NES game called Sweet Home, which is based off the movie, and I'm just going to say it, I don't think it has a lot to do with the movie besides like names and characters. I actually watched that movie recently with a friend of mine, and it's really, really freaky, but I do say it has the best the best five-minute melting sequence of a person I've ever seen on cinema. So there's that for that movie. But uh, yeah, um, it was originally developed and made by Shinji Mikami, who actually really made a lot of the SNES Disney games back in the day. And, re- and I just love the game so much. I've been a huge fan of the series for so many years. I think the first one I played was Resident Evil 2 on the N64, which was rough, but, I mean, it got the job done. And having no PS1 is really the only way to really play it. I actually, funny enough, I like the original RE1 better than the remake, mostly because I hate the Crimson Heads in the remake. I know that's probably a a hot take, but at least that's just my feeling about it. But yeah, I, I absolutely love Resident Evil 1. It's definitely one of my favorite games uh, of all time, at least favorite horror survival games. Uh, I have to say that I think Resident Evil 2 is my, like my favorite Resident Evil game, but Resident Evil 1 is a close second for sure. But yeah, uh, what do you guys think of it? What do you guys think of Resident Evil? <laughs> so I'm one of those guys that uh, actually hasn't played Resident Evil, period, at all, except... Um, was it the last time that we recorded a Halloween cast? Two years ago. We had Sam on, we had Chaz on, and uh, we were talking about Resident Evil, and I was like, oh, I haven't played it, but everybody was talking about it, and it was it just sounded so cool. So I finally uh, played through Resident Evil for the first time ever last year. I played as Jill, because, of course, that's the easier game. And what I did is I didn't use any guides, I didn't use any, I didn't look anything up on the internet, nothing. Um, it it took me a little bit to get through it, and there were a couple times that I got stuck. Um, I actually think I had to look up one puzzle throughout my playthrough because it was super obtuse and I just couldn't figure it out. But beyond that, I thought the game was sensational. So at first I thought the tank controls were complete garbage. I, I couldn't understand why for a game that obviously did as well as it did and you know had, has had so many sequels and so on, why they chose to use tank controls. But eventually you get used to them if it's not a control scheme you really used a lot in the in the past you eventually get used to it and it suddenly starts making a whole lot of sense because as different scenes transition from the different fixed camera angles you can just continue running or evading zombies or whatever it is that you're doing without any interruption without having to reorient yourself you know and change uh you know wherever you may be pointing on the control scheme i thought that the music was super super appropriate it was really well done and it totally enhanced the atmosphere and it truly was creepy and and fearful and 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 there was also a solid amount of mystery to it and so what i what really struck me during my my playthrough and again remember 2019 first time i ever went through the game was that it had an amazing balance of, you know, you being super careful because you didn't, you know, want to get killed by zombies and there's only so many uh, herbs and, and, and first aid sprays you can carry. So, so there was that element of fear and it was balanced really, really nicely with 
curiosity, like this desire to keep going on and and finding out what is happening and trying to, you know, solve the mystery bit by bit. And so the game kind of lulls you into this false sense of security that, you know, where you, for example, you wipe out all the enemies in a certain area and you're sort of sort of exploring but then something else happens and some other element of fear just kind of brings you right back into that fearful state and I thought that that was just such a such a sensational balance so again first time player 2019 and I thought you know I understood now why it was as big as it was uh, you get used to the controls and the atmosphere is just amazingly well done so I haven't played as Chris yet um, nor have I played any subsequent game but I have picked up a copy of Resident Evil 2 for the Dreamcast so that I can have a go at that as soon as I'm done Chris's game and uh, yeah I just you know I it, the hype is real obviously I mean I can't recommend it enough it's fantastic you're in for a treat Resident Evil 2 I actually replayed that this year uh, both scenarios and man I, lo- I, I must have beat that 15 times and I can beat it 15 times or more it's so much fun excellent I'm totally looking forward to it yeah, and you and you're actually missing the best uh, the best vocal line. Actually, my favorite in the game was uh, with Chris was uh, Wesker. You're pathetic. <laughs> you know, so playing through, so I, and I know that the voice acting. I mean, I've read enough about the game to understand that the voice acting was kind of cheese, but it, it works funny. And you know, the Jill sandwich and and all this other stuff. It's it's just hilarious and I even like so another anecdote I'll share another memory from my playthrough there was a section just after you fight yawn where uh Jill has to drop down and Barry is helping her to drop down into uh like this hole in the ground uh, that the snake had made I believe anyways there was um a time where I dropped down there and I had to step away from the controller for like a minute or two and I and I know Barry had sort of taken off and uh, the rope had fallen or whatever, and I thought, okay, well, yeah, it's Barry. He's, you know, he's a bad guy or whatever. And But then because I left the controller momentarily, Barry ended up coming back, and I thought, this is brilliant because most people would have missed that part. Like, it was just so awesome. Like, there wasn't a moment in the game where I thought, yeah, this is stupid or this game is no good. Like, it just every aspect of it was just, it was awesome to me. It was really, really well done. Were you expecting the, did you know about the twist in the game before you played it? No, I had no idea about any of it. So it was just super fresh to me and it was just really, it was really cool. And it just made me kind of think that, you know, those late 90s, um, that period of gaming, there were so many new genres kind of popping up. 3D was all new and so many new franchises. And, you know, this kind of just brought me back to that time where everything was new and fresh uh, and Resident Evil was just, it was an amazing experience. Nice. All right. Uh, Nick, did you want to give your thoughts? Sure. So in our last Halloween cast, I had the treat of playing Alone in the Dark 2 for Saturn, which it's a classic game, awful port. I did not like it. It was terrible. Um, I think it was the worst Saturn game I've played. You could argue The Crow is worse. Uh, But it had a lot of similarities to Resident Evil, and it made me think, okay, you know, it's got the tank controls. It's a guy where you, you move around with no fixed camera angle. He just moves from scene to scene throughout this house area fighting zombies and shooting them and stuff like that and it almost seemed like capcom took that classic and said all right let's get rid of the cartoony stuff and make this a real deal horror take the same concept same control scheme and whatnot is it directly inspired by that i don't know for sure but they it kind of explains why they've been using the tank controls and why they went with that 
non-fixed camera angle for so long because that was sort of the set standard for survival horror of the time and they wanted to take that and make it i want to say take that and make it good but you know improve upon it and make it the real thing and that's kind of what i feel the first resident evil embodies um the saturn version it's obviously fantastic uh, compared to the ps1 port i mean you're if you're gonna notice any differences at all between the two it's not gonna matter in terms of soaking in the overall experience of the game i mean it's really not that much it's lost at least in my opinion from what i understand so unless you're a super nerd about the the graphics and and how things play out and whatnot it's pretty much i mean it's it's a it's a very well done part of the game um yeah no i i I haven't played it super recently, but it is one of those Saturn games that I played early on when I started getting familiar with the console and have picked up every now and then just throughout the past few years. And um, definitely, uh, definitely a classic for sure. Um, if you haven't played it, you definitely should. If you're a fan of Resident Evil and you haven't played the original, definitely go for it. Even if you already know the twist at the end of the at the end of the game, if you've played any of Resident Evil after. Resident Evil 1, you pretty much know what the twist is. So, Peter, I'm glad you got to have a, a fresh experience with that. That's 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 delightful to hear. Um, uh, what was interesting about it is that, it you know, uh, it, people weren't so sure it was going to come out for the Saturn at all uh, once it came out for the PS1. It, it came out initially for the PS1 in March of 96 for both Japan and North America. And for the, for the rest of that year... If you go to, like, the forums and the Usenet posts from what people were talking about, you know, from what Saturn fans were talking about, they're like, oh, geez, we're not getting Resident Evil. And then a few months later, that really bad Alone in the Dark 2 port came out, and people were like, oh, God, this is what we get? Ew. You know? And then uh, finally, early, early 1997, I think it was, like, January, um, the British Sega Saturn magazine was like, all right, Resident Evil for the Saturn's happening. Here's some screenshots. They had three screenshots. People were like, oh, hey. It's happening. They're going to port it. And there was also talk of there being Resident Evil 2 being ported to the Saturn as well, which we all know how that ended. That was a fun time. No, I love I love Resident Evil 2 on the Saturn. Best game. I'm going to leave that uh I'm I'm going to leave that meal for Sam Wise of the South. He's got a he's got a lot with that. He's got a lot of beef with that. And uh, eventually Resident Evil 1 for the Saturn did come out in October of 1997, more than a year after the ps1 port came out so i guess it came out in time for halloween well generally well received there were the critics for some reason thought it was slightly worse than the ps1 version to the enough to where they where the same reviewers would give the saturn version lower scores there's a lot of talk about there being some potential bias against the saturn amongst the magazine writers and the professional critics but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day i would have to agree my 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 first uh, my first playthrough was on the PlayStation, so even as a Uber Saturn Uber fan, you know my I I I had to play that game when it came out, and my dad had a PlayStation, and so we got Res Evil, and it played great. It was amazing. I hadn't seen a game presented in a cinematic nature like that before. I got the the fact that the tank controls kind of provided that ability to you know be able to set the scene as you moved around the house and show odd camera angles and everything and present that tension. Um, when I played it on the Saturn, I thought it was excellent, but it did feel, I, I guess just having played it on the PlayStation first, 
and then jumping over to Saturn, it, the character models looked maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, because of the way that Saturn renders 3D, you know, um, things looked a little bit more grungy. You, you didn't have transparencies with the water and stuff like with the fountain. Nick was like, hmm? So I didn't know if, I, but yeah, so like, I, I would say visually it was, it was almost there. But I, and then, you know, you had things added on, you know, had the extra content, but, you know, I kind of still feel like the PlayStation version is a really good way to uh, experience the game for a first time. Um, but I do love the Saturn version. I mean, of course, I own it and I've played it a couple times through, but I, I, I don't blame people even at the time, reviewers at the time for for, you know, stacking them up side to side and feeling like the Saturn version was, you know, obviously a port of the original version you know it's interesting though because i would i would say that the two ports are actually relatively close like compared to other ports like for example wipeout where it was clearly much much better on the playstation i thought the two ports were fairly close and and where the playstation had advantages like say with the road shading which smoothed out the polygon models like you know to compensate for that the Saturn just by virtue of running in a slightly higher resolution had slightly more detail in the backgrounds and it had the battle mode and whatever. So like, to me it was like, they were pretty darn even, but I agree. I remember from back in the day, the reviews were a lot harsher on the uh, Saturn version. And so that's, I mean, you know, for a game like Wipeout, sure that that's warranted, but for Resident Evil, I didn't think it was that big of a difference. Exactly. Like there were differences, but it wasn't so staggering to where you needed to, you know, punish the Saturn port over the PS ones, you know? Yeah. It's not like Castlevania where it's like it lags completely. Well, part of that, part of that is by the time it came out on the Saturn, they were already getting RE2 on the PlayStation. So it's almost like with that fresh in their minds, the way they're looking at the Saturn, um, you know, they'd already had a, a year and a half or you know, they'd already had quite a bit of time to digest the first RE on on PlayStation. And then they're judging the Saturn port a little bit harsher because, you know. Yeah, they're basically saying that with the Saturn's extra hardware capabilities that with given an extra year of time to develop, you would expect that Resident Evil 1 coming out a year later would have more features or better graphics. And here it comes out, and it's basically just the same, or if not worse, uh, than the PlayStation port. And I mean, like now, I now I think they're both great, but at the time, I can honest, at the time back then, I can relate to those those reviewers because I remember thinking that myself, and I was a big Saturn fan. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I think that the timing of the Saturn port, like you were mentioning, Resident Evil 2 was on everybody's minds and it was in progress for the PlayStation by the time the first game hit the Saturn. It sort of reminds me of how the PlayStation got a port of Mortal Kombat 3 fairly early on in its life cycle. And around the same time, the Sega Saturn got a port of Mortal Kombat 2. And so it was sort of like nobody cared. Everybody wanted to just sort of move on. And so it wasn't looked upon, you know, very favorably at all. I mean, it ended up being a poorish port, but, uh, you know, the, the timing was just really weird. Mortal Kombat 2 for Saturn is what gave acclaim the nickname Ack Lame by many people online back in the 90s. It was uh, not liked. 
Yeah, I, and I I understand why. I personally enjoy the game, uh, but I understand why it got that uh, reputation. Uh, it, it does make sense to me. Ben, did you want to talk a little bit about your experience with Resident Evil? Yeah, sure. So my experience with Resident Evil, um, I was also a PlayStation guy growing up. Uh, I didn't get a Saturn until years later as well. Um, but uh, on the PlayStation, of course, I was playing Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3. And um, so the the Resident Evil series were definitely creepy growing up. You're looking at these polygon models and... You know, these things look realistic back in the day. I mean, you look at them now and they're like, wow, that that's n- nothing compared to what we have now. But back then, it's like, oh, my God, they're so lifelike. And so you'd go through these rooms and it just feels terrifying, you know, especially when you're younger and, what, 20 years ago when it was back then. And um, you'd go through a doorway, and the door, it'd be completely dark. You'd hear the door creak open slowly. You don't know what's on the other side until it opens up and fades into the next room. And so it's brilliantly done to really just put you on edge, and it's just fantastic. And so me and my brother would play through these games, and we just would love it, every single mechanic of it. And it was just great. Nice, yeah. I I was. It's kind of funny that you bring up the... How many different people play it like different ways? Like some people grew up with Saturn, some grew up PS One. I I kind of find it funny. I'm the only one that had like the N sixty four and didn't have either of them until years later, which I thought was pretty funny. Because like I I had the sixty four only for quite a while. So I, the only Resident Evil game I played was Resident Evil Two on the N sixty four. So I just thought it was kind of funny. You know the very first. So when I played through the game uh, last year for the first time, I honestly thought. Like at the the first section of the game, you're sort of hunting for these crests that you have to put in in this uh, this section, you know, in the wall um, in one of the corners of the mansion. And I thought when I got the last crest, I thought, yes, this is it. I finished Resident Evil. I'm, you know, I'm a boss. I'm just so good. And it turns out that you're maybe a quarter of the way through the game. Maybe there was so much more to it. There's, you know, the the guard uh, house, and then there's the, you know, the underground uh, uh, sewers, and then the laboratory, and all that kind of stuff. So it really kind of, you know, made me appreciate uh, that there's just so much more to the game. And I thought that was really kind of neat. That I thought, yep, this is it. It's great game. It's so awesome. And you know, I was I was nowhere near, not even halfway through the game. It was it was cool. That's pretty funny. <laughs> all right, uh, Sam, did you want to talk a little bit about your experience with Resident Evil? Yeah, the funny thing is, is that Resident Evil was my very first Saturn game. Um, you know, it kind of blows people's minds, but I, I was I was latecomer to the Saturn period. You know, I picked up my Saturn the third Saturday of October of '97. It was an early Christmas gift. I got it um, used at a local uh, mom and pops retailer. By it was a Hollywood video, but it wasn't the Hollywood video. So I picked that up, and right next door there was a Walmart. We went up in there, and I convinced my mom to buy me Resident Evil. Because I had all these friends who were playing Resident Evil, and uh, I wanted to play Resident Evil, and there it was for the Saturn. And I was like, "Hell yeah, let's get it." The um, there's a couple of things that have been said that aren't they aren't 100% known facts that I've got to kind of like hit. Um, one of them is the release date. The release date for Resident Evil. I know we've talked a lot about October 1st, but there's evidence for it being as early as August 30th in North American territories. There's there's evidence for it being as September 5th. There's evidence for it being September 30th. There are so many different conflicting dates 
that I, that actually have verifiable evidence behind them that it, there's no real way to say definitely that it released on a specific date. Um, my thinking, my thinking with that is maybe it might be a just a retailer lag, like maybe oh, it came out in this section of the states or this section of the country, or this game store got earlier than this game store, and there wasn't like a specified release date, or there's no, some different no, ones no. bouncing around. That, that's that's exactly right, and if anything, that's more than likely what happened. The the October first date is there's no way it was later than that. So if you're being in a safe position in the Wayback Machine, the Wayback Machine will take you to official articles stating October third, October first is the official date. I'm not trying to harp on that. I'm just saying that whenever it comes to Resident Evil on the Saturn, there is there is a lot of information that's it's, it's been twisted over the years. Um, it's kind of sp- funny. I, I like that. It's kind of I find it more funny than anything that it's just like it's just a testament to the early days of the internet, where it's like we still relied on magazines for the most part for these release dates, and you know sometimes they're not always correct. Well, no, I mean you bring that up, and it's a valid point because I, that's what kind of what I was leading into. I have a screenshot off of my Resident Evil Two video for the Saturn, um, where I'm showcasing upscale 1080p footage from the Saturn and upscale 1080p footage from a PS1. The PS1 has infinitely better character models. Um, the Saturn has more contrast in its backgrounds. But the things that a lot of people don't just, they don't think about is that the Saturn and the PS1 use slightly different angles on every single scene. There is no two scenes in those games. You can go scene by scene. They all use the same area. But if you go scene by scene, every single one of them is at a slightly different angle than their, their counterpart on the other, on the opposing system. I mean, there's so many minute things. I mean, in, in all truth and reality, yes, a port is completely rebuilding the game for new hardware. But in many regards, I mean, pretty much they rebuilt this game from scratch because the way that this game ran on the PS1 was impossible in every respect for it to run on the Saturn. No one believed they could even make it run on the Saturn to begin with. You know, the the fact was is that initially it was Cap, Capcom's press conference in February of 1997 was whenever the game was officially announced in a in an official context. And what they did was they basically made the, the, the point that it was going to be the Resident Evil Dash. They were talking about possibilities of different outcomes, entirely different story. You know, that's what really got a lot of people hooked. In retrospect, we didn't get that. We got the addition of the battle game. We got the addition of, you know, little extra things like that. But there's so many quirks. There's so many individual quirks with the Resident Evil 1 port on the Saturn that my personal experience with it as a 7-year-old playing the game, being scared out of my mind, literally taking three days to get past the snake in the freaking attic. (laughs) You know, from that to basically, you know, I can tell you every aspect of Yawn, which is the snake's name now. I can tell you every aspect of the Spencer Mansion. I can tell you every aspect of if you do this, you're going to get this circumstance. If you do this, you're going to get that circumstance. And then also all the research I had to do to actually figure out all the real information on this game. The understanding I had as a seven-year-old all the way up until about the time I was... um, 27 years old so 20 years i had one view of resident evil on the saturn and ever since i did my research for uh the re2 video my entire viewpoint on it's entirely changed you know because i i understand now just how much of a work of art and how much of a technical achievement this game really was i mean 
if you want to talk about the the major differences, the only real major differences between the the shading used, between the lack of transparencies, is that there's a couple of extra frames of loading times. Every single frame has a different angle to it. The character models are rendered in an entirely different way because we use quads instead of polygons. You know, those are the things I really look at now, to be honest with you. And it's a technical achievement that the game was even created to begin with. Yeah, no, and that's all fascinating. And I, I think, I think in terms of the gameplay, I think you're probably the same with me, Resident Evil Two, where you could pretty much play it like blindfolded at this point, where it's like, oh, I just want to play through it, and you can just rush through. It. It's like, okay, I'm dude, I'm done. Uh, that's that's exactly right. It's like for you know there was um I did a knife only run on it a lot like years ago, where I finished the game in like an hour twenty minutes, knife only with Jill, and I I have tried to to do that again, and I've never been able to beat the game. Period, knife only ever since then. But you know I look at the speed running records, and there's like no speed running records for knife only on the Saturn. That shows you how few people actually do it. And to be honest with you, I mean, if you're trying to get the best time on the game, the way to play it is on a computer because you can skip crap. You can run through kanji. You know, there, there's so many speed running is its own thing unto itself. But if you just want to talk about the community for the Saturn, just take a look at the speed runners and you'll find out that there's like five people who've ever posted records for the Saturn. That shows you how few people actually know about the game on, on the Saturn to begin with. So Yeah, I actually think that some of my favorite speedrunners are Resident Evil-oriented speedrunners in general. I think one of my favorite ones like Bok Boss Soup or something like that. He has a bunch of like a, a bunch of like mods and speedruns of Resident Evil. That's pretty sweet. I would If you are interested in that stuff, I would check him out on YouTube and Twitch. He's really he does a lot of also horror games, but he's he does a lot of Resident Evil stuff. But uh, speaking of uh, the RE one point five, do we want to also talk about that? As even though it's technically not released on the Saturn in any capacity, I mean, as Sam as Sam uh, discovered in his video that he released, uh, how long was that? About a year or two ago that you released the one point five video. Uh, it was Resident Evil two, um, and it was in uh, April of last year, and like I said. I- you know, there's, um, I'm not going to name names because I don't think the dude did it on purpose. I think he just, I, I don't know. I don't want to say anything about that. But there was a YouTuber, a uh, rather large YouTuber, who made a comment that, you know, th- that we were looking at Sega Saturn footage of Resident Evil 1.5. Um, and that there there is no evidence to that. In fact, every single piece of evidence we have for the Resident Evil Every trailer you see with Resident Evil 2 on it with a Saturn insignia on it at any point is literally frame by frame the RE 1.5 footage that was shown by Capcom. And if I can remember, I'm wanting to say it was February 97. That's such a good point, though. Should we... I think we should really reference the... Every Saturn part of it is Resident Evil 1.5 and not really 2 as... As it's pretty much is that Resident Evil 1.5 was the only version that was ported, or at least worked on for the Saturn and not 2. And I guess for you that don't know about that, is that Resident Evil 2 went through a stage where it had, it started development as 1.5, but it didn't really pan out and they decided to scrap it and just redo 2 altogether. But there are some elements that remained. I think Sam, Sam probably knows a little bit more about that than I do, though. Okay, there's, um, I'm trying to look at my script and my notes from over a year ago, which it was like six months of investigation that went into this. And there's so little information. Um, 
I quoted a 40% complete. That was the, the only thing I could ever find referenced anywhere. And it wasn't in an official capacity per se, but it was like on a forum from freaking 2003. Um, where basically they were talking about a potential build, like how far it had gotten along. The thing with it is, though, is that like RE 1.5 was dead in the water. All right. It was pretty much dead in the water in 97. Okay, they, they pretty much officially went on board and said, look, we're completely redeveloping this game. We're, we're completely redeveloping this game. Like, a lot of people don't remember, there was very, like, you had RE1 released on the PlayStation in 96. Then you had the DualShock, I mean, not the DualShock, you had the Director's Cut that came out. Then you had the DualShock Director's Cut that come out. Like, you had all these extras that kept popping up because Capcom was like sitting here trying to create RE2 and they had gone through this long arduous process which we become known as RE1.5 and they basically said you know what we don't like this we're going to start over and that happened in 97 so because the game released and the, the official RE2 released on PlayStation in 98 all right so what you got going on here is that Resident Evil 1 on the Saturn didn't even start development until early 1997. Which, at that point, they had already started development on what would be eventually become Resident Evil 2 that we know today. Like, they were already in that phase of changing their minds and shit. Like, the timeline is so screwed up because you can't think about the timeline in reference of RE1 and RE2 for the PlayStation. You gotta remember, RE1 wasn't actually started development for the Saturn until 1997. All right, so what you get is that whatever whatever development was actually completed for the Saturn release was RE2 that we got on the PlayStation. It wasn't RE1.5 because RE2 was already almost complete by the time that RE1 on the Saturn was released. Okay, so you're saying that it, it was indeed that Resident Evil 2... Like, the second one was the one that was developed for the Saturn, not 1.5. That's exactly right. RE 1.5 was scrapped while RE 1 was being ported to the Saturn. Mm, I see. So, and, and the, the whole aspect of RE 2 release on the Saturn, there is, you know, it was Funamizu. Funamizu was the one who said that you didn't even need the four meg cart. You didn't even need the four meg cart to actually play the game. Like there, there was, what it all boiled down to, man. Straight up, real talk, complete, honest to God. This is what Makami and Funamizu have basically said in in one way or another, is that they couldn't get the game to run the way they wanted to. There was no incentive monetarily to even complete the game. Because the Saturn was on the way out in Japan and the Dreamcast was on the way in. All right. So what they basically did was they said, why are we going to keep throwing money into this project to make it work the way we want it to whenever we can just, you know, port it over to the next, the next console. And they basically made a deal with Sega and said, Hey, look, we'll get you a, we'll get you a Resident Evil game. We will get you a Resident Evil game. And that is what became Code Veronica. You had Next Tech who developed the RE1 for Saturn. They basically got pushed into development for what became Code Veronica. 
All right. And I mean, you still, there is so much conflict between did Capcom internally develop it or did Next Tech internally develop it? Was it a co-produced project? Was there certain assets used here? I mean, there, there is so much back and forth. And the truth of the matter is, is that somewhere out there, somewhere out there, there is a prototype build of RE2 on the Sega Saturn. I don't know where the hell it is. I don't know if it even exists because of disc rot anymore, but it still exists possibly. And yeah, it makes you wonder if it if which which version of Resident Evil 3 runs better, the one on the the GameCom or the Saturn. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it wouldn't be complete anyway. It just it wouldn't be complete, and and the truth of the matter is, it probably would have been more than two discs of a game, because the the increase in resolution between backgrounds alone between RE1 and RE2 would have pushed the Saturn to it, it would have pushed the Saturn hard. It really would have. The only benefit the Saturn had, honestly, over the PS1 was how it utilized the VDP-1 and VDP-2 to where it could actually create these infinite backgrounds and basically work as a 2D powerhouse. But with the character resolutions, the model resolutions, the amount of characters and 3D models on screen, it had been extremely hard for the Saturn to actually to actually run efficiently, to be honest with you. I mean, load times would have been significantly increased if it had actually released, in my opinion. Based on the information I've seen, the talk I saw... I mean, it, it was, if it had happened, it would have probably been the most inferior port on console. So maybe it's a good thing it got canned. I mean, I would love, I would love to just see it, man. But I mean, the well, truth right, is, I mean, it, yeah. I mean you, you got to be honest with yourself though. Like the Saturn had its limitations and the, and Resident Evil 2, even though you look at RE1 and you look at RE2 and you're like, oh man, it ain't that big an increase. No, it is an extremely big increase whenever you're talking about character resolution whenever you're talking about background resolution how much information is going on how many characters are on screen not to mention all the fmbs yeah there was something i was curious about and it segues really good in so sam you're talking about utilization of hardware and now let's cross over to the playstation 2 for a minute uh, utilization of hardware, uh, speaking of which, directly about the hard drive adapter and the network adapter, which attaches directly to it. Now, that adapter was basically made, um, you know, to connect you to the internet, to connect a hard drive to the PlayStation 2, yada, yada, yada. Um, and most people's experience with that was first lived through either one of three different games, if I remember right. But the most popular one of those was Resident Evil Outbreak. And this was a really amazing game at the time. It's probably really hard to go back to now because there's no voice chat. All you could do was basically send commands uh, to somebody. You could basically say, wait, stop, go, go now. You know, basically those little short commands. And me and my brother would play this thing and we got really good at it. And it was very much entertaining to basically be like, wait, 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 <laughs> you know, telling all the people online just to hold up, you know, where they're at. And it, it was so much fun to play because this was like one of the very first online experiences that was really even a thing that was very popular. And this isn't a mainline Resident Evil game. This is something that's one of those side games that took place between the Resident Evil 2 and 3 timeframes. And um, it, it was it was a very good experience all around, uh, at least from what I remember. Uh, do you remember anything about this, Peter, Sam, Pat? I actually never really got to play Outbreak back in the day. My uh, 
I had dial-up until around 2005 or so, and I didn't get a PS2 until like maybe 2010. So, unfortunately, I missed the boat on the Outbreak games, unfortunately. No, like I had a buddy of mine. The, the whole reason um, I had a PS2, but we had very limited internet. My buddy, he had the Slim. And whenever he got the Slim, we were playing uh, Outbreak. Um, what it basically we like we always shared. His, his parents had Ethernet internet, and he would play it some, and I would play it some. And I can remember, I, I played Outbreak File One online. I never got a chance to play File Two online. Uh, I had the game, but I didn't have access to a fast enough internet to actually utilize anything. So I was I always had to play the um, the single player mode, which <laughs> single player mode is. Uh, not that fun. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, if you don't have any other options, it is actually fun to a degree. But the game was really designed to be a multiplayer experience, even though, granted, in today's concept, it's a very limited multiplayer experience. Um, very frustrating. <laughs> the fun thing is, though, is that it's actually been brought back. They um, Via emulation, you are actually able to play it with other individuals today. And thanks to the modern capabilities we have such as discord right now you can actually verbally communicate with other people while you're playing the game so i mean you can call it a side game but like for people like me it was really cool because it it gave if you remember right you still had the static quote-unquote camera angles but they followed you now so it was very similar to what re code veronica had done so you were getting away from it was it was that transition period between traditional Resident Evil and what we come to know in like Resident Evil Four. So to me, it was probably one of the funnest times in the Resident Evil era. Like my favorite games, Resident Evil wise, are Code Veronica, Outbreak File Two, and uh, Resident Evil Three. Those are my my top three games. And people were like, Outbreak File Two, what the hell are you talking about? It was a fun game to play. Like, for me, you know, memory-wise, it was a fun game to play. Not to mention you had all this extra stuff that was going on in Raccoon City you actually got to experience. Yeah, uh, I would have loved the. I think now that they're online, I might play them. Is it both 1 and 2 that are now online on the emulation side? I don't know. I just, you know what? Go, um, this is a plug. They don't need a plug. They got hundreds of thousands of subscribers already. Go look up Residents of Evil. On YouTube, the Row Network. They do awesome live streams. They're a great group of guys. They love Resident Evil to to the max. Um, they've got a couple of videos on it from way back in the gap. Another guy, uh, YouTuber, I absolutely love is uh, Avalanche Jared. Avalanche Reviews. He's got an entire retrospective on the series, every single entry in it. Go check him out. Um, if you like Resident Evil, there are plenty of people in the community that you can find. And the fun, the fun thing about it is, is that every one of us have their own little stories. Every one of us have different information we've, we've gotten over the years and some of it conflicts and some of it doesn't. And, you know, but at the end of the day, man, like if you love any resident evil entry, you can find something else in the fandom to fall in love with. As for directly answering your question, I'm sure a Google search or Reddit will probably direct you in the, the, straight line path of how to play those games online today i got you oh, yeah no i just wasn't sure if you, if you tried it or not i found a youtube a youtube link on it so i'll see yeah i mean the thing about it is dude it's i just i absolutely love the retro community because of how much stuff we actually the crap we bring back alive you know i was watching a video today on youtube or listening i should say and it was talking about like drm and you know ip protections and everything else like that and the, the coolest thing about it is 
is that the retro gaming community is one of these communities that basically just like sticks the middle finger up to everybody and says, you know what? We're going to do what the hell we want. And we do it. And I love it, dude. I absolutely love it. It's great. I'm glad we're keeping these games alive. And I'm definitely excited to go play it. Because the last time I heard, I heard that they had the capture data from the servers. But they, I, I didn't hear about if they Im- implemented yet. But it looks like they did. So I'm going to check that out. Last time I saw anything on it, I, I do remember that the games were, I mean, they were functional, but it wasn't 100%. I mean, there were still issues that, that that popped up. Now, I think the last time I watched a video on it was over six months ago. So, I mean, there's no telling where it's at currently. So let's talk about today's obscure game of the cast, or Saturna Obscura, and today's game is Deep Fear. So I'm sure a lot of you have heard about Deep Fear. It is that game that uh, came out in Japan and also in PAL territories, but was never released here. It is a survival horror game, much like Resident Evil, but it does have its own unique twist. So it is set roughly 300 meters below the sea, and you play as John Mayer. He is an ex-Navy SEAL uh, during his first weeks at the Big Table, which is the underwater station. And then John and Mookie, which is sort of a comic relief co-worker character, they're called to investigate a submarine that crashed nearby. However, once on board, they encounter horrid creatures, which eventually lead them back to the big table. So, uh, I had a question. So, you mentioned it was 300 meters, right? I did, yes. What's that in cheeseburgers per centimeter, or cheeseburgers per inch? You know, I'm, let me just do that calculation real quick in my head. It would probably 984.252 feet, I'm thinking. Sound, sounds good. Appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't know how deep it was when you said what meters. Like, yeah, that didn't make yeah, any we need, sense. Yeah, we need to use cheeseburgers what, per per freedom. What so. kind of food is a meter? Cheeseburger. <laughs> is a meter a gun? <laughs> I mean, can you shoot meter? Um, well, I'll tell you, it's neither red nor blue, um, and it's you know you you can fit several several feet into it. So, so yeah, we'll we'll go with that. Thank you. Gotcha. My pleasure. <clears throat> so yeah, the game was released first in Japan in July of 98, and then it was ported over and made its way over to Europe and was released in September of that year. And it was also scheduled for release in North America. However, by then, the Saturn had sort of faded from the retail scene and the game never did come out. And it was ultimately the very last release in Europe as well. So really sort of end of the line for Saturn in the West. And I do want to mention, although Deep Fear wasn't the absolute last Sega released game for the Saturn in Japan, it was their last, you know, sort of big ticket production. 
releasing after Deep Fear in Japan uh, by Sega were games like Sonic 3D Flicky's Island and Sega Tassanshiro Shinken Yugi and other sort of minor games like that, but Deep Fear was definitely their last big production. Um, it was developed by AM7, and it was their answer to Resident Evil, both the first and the second game, really, which uh, came out earlier that year. Yeah, so I, th- I thought it was really interesting. I I, th- I thought the resupply at first made it like easy mode Resident Evil, as they give you a lot of really first aid sprays and plenty of ammo and guns, but I slowly learned quickly why that is. Uh, aiming was super difficult, and every enemy takes a full clip to take down, like like worse than Resident Evil. Like you're just sitting there and shooting them, and it's like oh 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 oh. And it's like it's like a minute to take each one down. It's insane. Like I had problems on the the first boss, we, the the captain of the ship, where he turns into the monster thingy. I the only way I could kill him is use grenades to be able to take him down. I don't know if that's common, but yeah, I mean you can move and shoot, but I don't know. Overall, I think it's kind of kind of useless to do both as they just catch up to you pretty fast yeah what was your opinion on the the ammo stuff the situation just that in general so okay I'll, i'll give you my two cents so i'm kind of new to resident evil and so i wanted to try out deep fear and i played it from beginning to end and right away i noticed that unlike resident evil yes you're right your ammo is unlimited there are special lockers throughout the game that John can get into, and in these lockers is an unlimited supply of ammo. So the key in the game is to find different weapons, different guns, and then as soon as you find said weapon, then you have access to unlimited ammo for that weapon at these lockers. You also have access to unlimited health sprays, and you can only carry up to nine at a time, but still, nine is quite a lot. And any time that you're running low, all you have to do is sort of hoof it back to one of the locker areas and you can replenish on uh, on your health sprays. So, so that isn't sort of what makes the game tough. It isn't like in Resident Evil where you have to really conserve and be careful and judge whether you're going to take down an enemy or just run around them. So the difference in, in Deep Fear is that your air supply is limited. And so you're in this underwater base and you have to constantly resupply your oxygen in the rooms that you're in. And in some rooms you're able to do that because there's these charging devices on the wall and in other rooms you can't. There's In fact, there's entire sections of the big table base that you can't really resupply your air. You have to use, yeah. You have to res- you have to really rely on the air grenades, which I think is pretty yes. funny. It is kind of a it's a neat little sort of twist around it. And I actually found that there were only one or two areas in the entire game where I absolutely needed to use the air grenade um, because you know, like you mentioned, Pat, if you have unlimited ammo, then you can just sort of pop away and 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 shoot. But but the unintended co- or the intended consequence, I guess, of having unlimited ammo is. Anytime you shoot your weapon, it, it decreases the oxygen supply in the room faster. So if you're just trigger happy and you just go mowing down enemies, then all of a sudden your oxygen supply is just going to really, really um, uh, plummet. And so so maybe that's the key, really, is that, yes, you've got all the ammo that you could possibly want, but you really have to be careful in how much of it you use. And so, yeah. you know, that was sort of a neat twist to it all. Did you have any issues aiming at the enemies? Because I had a... For some reason, I was shooting at them, and sometimes it wouldn't aim properly. Sometimes it would have to lock on. Like, was that just me, or did you also have struggles with that? 
so there were definitely times where I had a tougher time aiming, although the game is supposed to do some auto-aiming for you. Of course, the closer you were to the enemy, the easier it got, and it was possible to move and shoot at the same time, which took a little bit of getting used to, but once you get it down, it's actually pretty cool. But generally speaking, I found aiming to be easier in Resident Evil than I did in, in Deep Fear. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one because that was a struggle. It was like I would, I would shoot them and think I put in full clips, and then I was like, "Oh, you missed every shot. Here's death mm-hmm. for you." Yeah, yeah. So definitely, it's something that you have to kind of get used to. Um, you know, other impressions of the game that I had is it's a two disc game. However, it's a lot more linear than Resident Evil. First of all, there isn't two characters to select from like in Resident Evil. You've just got the story of uh, John Mayer. Um, who <laughs> I have to say, I have to... John uh, Mayer, John Mayer Mellencamp? Or well, isn't there okay, a scene so, just called John Mayer? So initially, the character's name was John Major. However, at the time of the game's release, John Major was the name of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. So I, I don't know if that's why or what prompted them, but they changed it from John Major to John Mayer. Anyways. So they turned it from a politician to a singer? So it would seem. I, I guess John Major was more, I don't know, on on their minds than John Mayer. But John Mayer it is. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so the entire story is just from John's perspective. And I found it to be a lot more linear than Resident Evil. Like Resident Evil, you had some choice in how the story progressed. Or at least that's the feeling I got. Whereas uh, with Deep Fear, it's sort of quite linear. But another reason why the game is two discs long is that it's really, really jam-packed full of uh, full-motion video clips. And at the time of the game's release, I recall reading in a lot of the import magazines that the full-motion video was really of excellent quality, um, that it was extremely well done, it was very realistic. And looking at it now, I mean, you know, it's certainly dated, but it does compare very favorably to other efforts from uh, the same time period on the Saturn. So lots of FMVs, and they do look pretty uh, pretty good, and that's how the story sort of advances. So um, the story is super interesting. I'm not going to spoil it, but there is a virus that infects some of the folks on at the big table, and they do mutate into these creatures, which you, of course, have to take down. And there's, you know, your regular twists and what have you. Um, so the story is interesting. The gameplay moves at a fairly quick pace. Oh, and that's another thing I, I should mention to, to players is that Resident Evil, I thought, was a bit of a slower game pace-wise than uh, than uh, uh, Deep Fear. Maybe that's the uh, result of having unlimited ammo, but if you really want to, you can just really blast through that game fairly quickly. I do think, I have to say, I guess, I guess kind of spoilers, there's a character death that I was actually very happy to see. So... I'll just say that. I think I know which one you're talking about. And I'm, let me just say that the voice acting in this game, I mean, so some of it is okay. John, for example, who doesn't speak too much, is okay. But there are other characters that are either downright annoying, such as Mookie. He just he just sounds bad. And then there's another fellow uh, by the name of Dubois who sounds like so you know how sometimes stereotypes can be funny but sometimes they can just be so bad that you roll your eyes and groan that's the kind of stereotype that we've got in the voice acting here oh is that uh, is that that high that high-pitched voice guy in the in in that yes oh my god i hated that character i was like why would they go with that voice that's that's like grade school levels are bad 
I, I've heard that there's a character in this game who sounds like the GIF who some may know as a very obscure YouTuber who reviews Saturn games with a bag over his head. Does it sound like that guy? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. Okay. It's, it sounds exactly like him. And so you know how, okay, so with Resident Evil, the voice acting is bad, but it's sort of so bad that it's good and you're kind of, it's part of the charm of the game. So, so the voice acting in Deep Fear is okay in some places, but when it's bad, it's it's cringeworthy bad. It's not so bad that it's good at all. It's just it's just horribly cringeworthy bad. I would disagree with you. I think it's horrendously awful. It, it makes Resident Evil One look like an Oscar award winning film directed by Scorsese. Yeah, Albert Wesker. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Martin Scorsese makes it in comparison. It's so horrendous. It's a horrible horrible voice acted game like it, it's probably the worst i've heard and i've heard some really bad ones yeah so i mean so you know my impressions playing this game for the first time this year um and i did by the way play the unreleased uh north american version because that that is out there that is floating out there so i encourage you guys to find it and burn it and give this game a try the game is good is it as good as resident evil in my opinion you know, so here's the way I look at Resident Evil. Resident Evil and Deep Fear both have... They share a lot of the same mechanics, and in some ways they are slightly different. But with Resident Evil, it somehow comes together to just be like a really great experience. where So it becomes more than the sum of its parts. Whereas with Deep Fear, all you really get is the parts. It doesn't really sort of coalesce into anything greater, if that makes any sense. No, that makes complete sense. It's a good game, but Resident Evil is a great game, and that to me is the difference. That's fair enough, for sure. Uh, one of the things I was curious about is on that the North American one. Is there like glitches on the top of the screen? It looks like deformed, like gl- grif- uh, glitches or like characters on the top of the screen, or is that just maybe my version of it? No, mine was pretty clean. Like it was, it was there was no issues at all. Okay, maybe I'm using the PAL version of it then, because I've. On, like it's just like the last like couple inches on the screen. It's like weird graphical glitches on the mm. top. So I have no idea what that's about. Do you know? There's one other thing I, I want to point out to our listeners, and that is because this is a Sega-made game, and it came out late in the Saturn's life. It is actually compatible with the 3D control pad. So there is a control scheme that you can use where you're using both the digital pad and the analog pad, uh, and they all serve different functions. So that's something that the game has over Resident Evil. However, I actually prefer just using the digital pad um, and just use the traditional uh, control scheme. And if you're a Resident Evil veteran, that's going to be the control scheme that uh, you're going to feel most at home with. Does the 3D pad control scheme, does that have you using the joystick and the D-pad simultaneously? Yes, yes. That's pretty hype. Okay, that's pretty cool. Um... I was just going to, yeah, that really kind of makes it a bit ahead of its time for, uh, for 98. No kidding. Um, so you had mentioned that there was a North American prototype and, uh, the internal date on there was July 15th, 1998. Um, and that's like the date that is within the code. Like if you were to pop it into a computer, that's probably what the last modified date would be if you were to examine the files. I don't know because I haven't taken a look at it. That or the um, pseudo but... or the, the Saturn patcher would probably say that as well. Right, right. And uh, Europe's, Euro- the European version, its date was July 13th, 98, just a couple of days prior. Um, while there really isn't much talk online about there being like, oh, the US version was announced or anything like that, if you were to go back and post like on Usenet, for example, throughout 1998, what you'll find is um, in it was 
first announced by March of 1998. And I say that because that's when people were talking about it, but maybe someone mentioned it in February. Nonetheless, it was announced in early 1998. And I think at that point, a lot of the American Saturn fans weren't even really expecting to, to get it. Um, in the summer, when it came out in Japan, everybody who was looking forward to it had posted about, oh yeah, I just we just imported it and got the Japanese version and started playing it. Which, uh, worth noting, the if you were to play the Japanese version, the dialogue is still spoken in English. It just has Japanese subtitles. Um, many people have reported being able to play the Japanese version as a native English speaker just fine, but the, a lot of the text is still in Japanese, so you, you might have some trouble uh, outside of the cutscenes and outside of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. That does but, remind me of my favorite thing about that is when, like, I guess spoilers, every time you come in contact with somebody, they, uh, they eventually turn into one of those monsters. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> much. I forgot that's to mention awesome. that. Um, but yeah, so like throughout 1998, I think people had just given up and given up hope that there was going to be a U.S. release. Like a few people had asked like, hey, is this going to happen? And they didn't really get any answers on it. And there are a few people who were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to call Sega of America and see if it'll come out in America and didn't really get any answers on it. So that um, that that leaked prototype years later is uh, really telling of, uh, of the story of the American Saturn because we the the North American region was still getting games until like throughout pretty much most of 1998. There were only eight games that came out in 1998, and uh, the last one, as many know, is Magic Knight Ray Earth's localization, a very belated uh, localization in December 11th, uh, closing out the American Saturn's uh, whimper. Um, and, uh, you know, if Deep Fear came out in Europe on, uh, you know, what was that, September, based on the prototype dates, you could infer that America's version probably would have come out at around the same time. But even though they put in the localization work, even though it was in English and they had a prototype, they, they had it ready to go, they still, Sega still didn't think it was worth it. So mm-hmm. that's definitely an interesting thing. And it was kind of telling by the fact that um, most of the fans who wanted it already just imported it because they didn't even think it was going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sad, sad situation for sure. Yes, yeah, definitely a big part of 1998's tale of the Saturn going out with a with a major whimper. Um, I remember a couple years ago we had a discussion with Kay, and he had actually taken the discs apart and looked and compared the North American prototype to the released PAL uh, version. And there were some differences where I believe the PAL version had... It was virtually identical, but the PAL version had, I believe, three additional files in the entire disc. And they were small, minor, little item files that didn't seem to affect gameplay any. Um, The PAL release was not PAL-optimized, so it was just the NTSC version. And yeah, so just three minor files that were were different uh, between the two releases, or between the prototype for North America and the PAL release, but... Uh, beyond that, they were identical. So, yeah, yeah. What a uh, what a sad ending to a pretty decent game. And mm-hmm. I guess speaking on that, I guess at the end of the day, what would your verdict be for this? Would you uh, buy it, burn it, or throw it away? 
Well, I would definitely burn it, and for our listeners, I would advise that you burn, obviously, the North American version. If you are in the PAL territories, it is an insanely expensive game to track down these days, so again, just give it a burn. Uh, But if you do happen to come across the Japanese copy, it is relatively cheap, and like Nick was saying earlier, there's not that much of a language barrier there. So, you know, people should experience this, so I would say definitely give it a burn. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think it's definitely worth the the PAL price, especially now I know it's not optimized. So I definitely think burning would be the best decision. I definitely recommend playing it, though, for sure. It's definitely worth at least one playthrough, especially if you're a Resident Evil fan. I mean, it's not as good, but I mean, if you want more games in that style, I mean, it's definitely not a bad option for sure. Agreed. And if you really like that one high-pitched voice actor, uh, check out The GIF with nine Fs. That guy's insane. <laughs> Yeah, don't check him out. (laughs) I got a couple quick things. to throw in at the end congrats to us for reaching a thousand subs on the youtube channel for sega saturn shiro and congrats to peter Malik for your just ridiculous night's christmas score on the junkyards christmas nights challenge you had uh, just over 612,000 points in spring valley obviously the game graded you with the letter a um, that's certainly an A performance, not just in the minds of the programmers, but I'm sure in the minds of society as a whole. Because holy crap, dude, that's insane. So, that's all. That's amazing. That game is my speciality, so <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. But you know what? I mean, um, I think that in our own ways, we are all sort of uh, uh, on that level. I mean, I couldn't play Darius to save my life, but uh, I'm sure, Nick, you could... Uh, put on a clinic as well so you put uh, on a few one cc runs here and there yeah right yeah so you know we've all got our speciality and nights just happens to be mine so but i'll take the compliments uh graciously nonetheless so thank you so with all that being said even though i didn't hear half of it possibly because editing difficulties time lapses all kinds of paradoxes causality disrupting things man sega saturn shiro is life you know what also go play your saturn this is the ssg this is us signing out later boys see you guys have a good one
If you don't know me, you ain't been listening to this podcast long enough. I've been here since Moby Dick was a minute. Welcome to the party, folks. I'm the SSG. Welcome to TitanCast, your home for Sega Saturn News commentary. Oh, shit, that's the wrong podcast. My apologies. All right, we're going to remove him from the podcast. Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, next week, we'll have uh, Slim Shady. Uh, anyways, what's up? <laughs>